It is Wednesday, April 14th, 2021. This is Messiah Matters number 340. Rob is 50 and should grow back his celebratory mullet. My name is Caleb Haig. Yes, indeed. I am now 50 and like two days old. You're an old dude now. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and it is also, not only is this episode, what, 340? Right. Today is day 17 of counting the Elmer. There you go. So there you go. There I'm Rob Vanoff. There you go. 50. <laughs> 50. So I, I, I got a picture that I need to upload to Facebook. It is Rob with a mighty mullet. <laughs> that must have been, what, 1980-something? 89, baby. 89. Yeah, it's uh, it's quite a sight to behold, <laughs> that mullet you had there. <laughs> Yeah, my oh. my uh, my father-in-law is. I mean, he is rocking, and I mean, rocking a mighty mullet right now. Even even now, huh? I mean, it's. I keep telling me you got to shave the sides now because he's. I mean, it's like down, it's like down here, and it's like curly in the back. Nice, dude. It's it's something fierce. That's he's, bold. It's bold all it's all, the... it's all silver. So he's like the silver fox. It's amazing. Does he use product? I don't think he uses anything because the rest of his hair is just like. <laughs> <clears throat> All right. Well, happy birthday, man. A couple days Thank late. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. You can send your presents to P.O. No, I'm playing. Okay. Um. Yeah. So I suppose we should tell everybody how to get a hold of us. There's been a couple of entries. There's been two entries so far for our uh, jingle. And yeah, uh, yeah two entries. Uh, one doesn't have any music to it, but I think. <clears throat> I think that it's 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 really good, and if we put some music to it, I think we it, it, so far it'd be a winner. It's it's unbelievable. Now, would you take their i their melodic concept and redo it with a different voice, or would you keep that recording and just add music to their performance? I, I don't know what I would do because I'm not really. I mean, I'm you know you can't really create a, a jingle with a cello. It's not really cello instrument music. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, anyway, everybody says congrats on the uh, 50 to you in the chat room. Hello, chat room. All right. Um, if you want to be in the chat room, you can come on to YouTube and join the conversation. You can also give us a call, 253-465-3205. It's 253-465-3205. Jingle yet to come. Um, you can also shoot us an email, chegg at chegg at torresource.com, chegg at torresource.com. Go to Tor Resource for all sorts of free resources and paid resources if you want. Um, and I will tell you that in the YouTube description of this video, there is a article that I have linked from my father uh, called Spirituality, Are We Better Off Now? The reason I linked it is because in it he has a conversation or he lays out a little bit of the old covenant conversation. <clears throat> Another thing you can do at Tor Resource, you can become a spring producer. That's right. Become a spring producer of this, executive producer of this show. Check it out. I Here, let me get rid of this banner for you before I move on. Look at this. That's your cup. Looks like the Krispy Kreme box, but it just says Messiah Matters, season eight, executive producer. Much sweeter producer. contents, Mu yes, but nutritious. Exactly. Yes, exactly. 36 viewers. Love it. If you don't know what the 36 viewers means, then you, ha midvash. you have not sweeter been, than honey. You have not been watching this show long enough. 
Okay, you're not in the know. That means that you're recent. You're a recent 36 listener, right? Okay. We only have 36 true listeners. So, uh, Mikhail Ben Eliyahu says mullets are hideous. Uh, I beg to differ, my friend. Uh, in fact, I'm pretty convinced that uh, that Samson, his strength was in the mullet. <laughs> his strength came from the mullet. I mean, that's about all there is to it. Um, okay. Let's, uh, so what did I do? Did I, oh yeah, I gave all of our, okay, good. We're good. And the last thing I want to say is go ahead and subscribe to this YouTube channel or whatever medium you're listening, listening on. Um, so, uh, if you're on YouTube, please subscribe to this channel. It, it really does help us out. I know that sounds weird, but it does. Um, subscribe, like hit the notification bell, all the stuff that every other channel says, just do it to our channel. Okay. Um, Last week, let's jump in. Let's jump in now. Last week, oh, did I put up our producers? I'm so sorry. Here are our new producers, our new spring producers. And we do actually have some new producers. Um, so I think that mug, I think they saw that mug. They saw the mug, mug and they designed. were on. They and they're were like, like, done. Put there me we, down. I go. don't even care. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Um, so Not even sure if I like the show, but I want that mug. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Okay. Um, <laughs> last week we talked, uh, we had a little conversation and I actually clipped that portion of the conversation. It was on the term old covenant, which now is being flippantly used by, uh, laymen and scholars alike, right? I mean, we hear this term old covenant quite a bit. Now, what we did in that, in that short little clip was we talked about what the old covenant perhaps is not. Um, Ooh, Ooh, now Alfred, hang on. Everything needs to stop. Everything needs to just be put on hold here. Alfred, who is a an amazing artist, amazing artist, like professional grade. And I think just, I think that's what he does for a living. I could be wrong, but professional artist says, I can Photoshop or paint you, Caleb, with a mullet. Um, you know, I'm, I'm down to see any artistic... Uh, my, I would have a mighty mullet right now if it was not for the woman that I love and am married to, because she has said. Word for the fact that we're not in the '80s presently. <laughs> no, I I don't care about that. I would I would have the curly mullet for I would perm my mullet. It would it would be amazing. <laughs> but the wife will oh, not the wife my. will not allow it to happen. <laughs> Go for it, buddy. All right. So back to our conversation. So last last week we were talking about what the old covenant is not. And uh, so Sean, and we probably should have done this last week, but Sean writes in, and this probably should be our main topic, but we'll switch it up because it's our show and we can do whatever we want. We, I do what I want, man. Um, we, can, uh, we, can, we can do what we want. And so we're going to uh, do our, our main topic first. And then you can listen to the rest if you want to or you don't have to. Let me turn my sound effects on. I just realized that my sound effects are not on when I said I do what I want and realized that our new, uh, our new sound clip is not, uh, is not available to me. Um, okay, so Sean writes in, as we're getting these clips up here, Sean writes in, he says, question, how do you guys define Old Covenant? Is it even in Scripture? Okay, this is a great question. And much to the surprise, I'm sure, of many people, um, <laughs> old, the term Old Covenant is only used one time in Scripture. Um, and that place is 2 Corinthians 3, 12. 
Well, let's read it real quick. Therefore, that was a delayed sound clip. I know I I had to put it in. Uh, So second Corinthians three, 12 through 16. Uh, Therefore, having such a hope, we use great boldness in our speech and are not like Moses, who used to put a veil over his face so that the sons of Israel would not look intently at the end of what was fading away. But their minds were hardened. For until this very day at the reading of the, and here's the one time in Scripture that we have the term, in the reading of the Old Covenant, the same veil remains unlifted because it is removed in Christ. But to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their heart. But whenever a person, now this is important, but whenever a person turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. So, um, and they stop reading. Yeah, exactly. And oh no, wait, that's not in there. That nowhere in the scripture does the uh, does it say that they stop reading the law of Moses or that or any such thing. And ultimately, this is the only place that uh, this term is used. And it's I think that this is one of the reasons that people say, "Oh, well, this is the Old Testament." Or it's the law of Moses. Now, we've already talked about major issues and major problems that would come with such a understanding, right? I mean, we've talked about the fact that, okay, well, is it all the covenants? Can God flood the earth again because the Noahic covenant is now done away with? By the way, the Noahic covenant is not just in the uh, the Tanakh. It's not just the Old Testament. That's actually in the Torah. It's in the first five books of the Bible. People might say it's not in the law of Moses. Nonetheless... Um, so that's one of the problems. Uh, do we then do away with the prophecies of the Messiah and what we're supposed to be looking for and what we're supposed to look for for a second return? Because now we've done away with all of those is the Abrahamic covenant, the uh, Davidic covenant. Are those done away with? And people will ultimately narrow it down. But then you have major, I'm going very fast here, but you have major problems also with saying it's the Mosaic Covenant because there's certain commands that are not found in the New Testament that are obviously still in act today. So people will narrow it down even further and say, oh, it's the ceremonial aspects of the law, just the ceremonial aspects. Jeff Durbin is one who tried to uh, use this argument when uh, referring to our belief. Well, uh, that, well, his belief about the law, that the ceremonial aspects were done away with. Um, there's major problems with this as well. And one of the major problems is, is that a lot of the laws that people would consider to be done away with and or ceremonial laws also have civil and uh, moral aspects attached to them. And so ultimately, you can't really, you cannot chop the, the Torah up into civil, ceremonial, and moral. And so this argument ultimately kind of falls apart. Okay. Do you want to start with what is the Old Covenant, or would you like me to? Well, I think of it, when I hear Old Covenant, I think of the passage you read, of course, where it's in right, there, but also the Epistle to the Hebrews. Okay. And the context with the, in the Epistle to Hebrews is the, the largest citation from Tanakh in the Apostolic Writings is Jeremiah 31, and it's, it's cited in chapter 8, and again, not as much, but uh, almost the same uh, full uh, citation again in chapter 10. And the contrast is is uh, between priesthoods and the nature of or the uh, the mediation of God's word to his people. the The priesthood was external. The Torah was, written and external to 
the individuals. The promise of Jeremiah is that it would be that God himself would write it on the hearts of his people. And that is something that a Levitical priest cannot do. A Levitical, right. the best, the best a Levitical priest could do, and and the best Levitical priest is John the Baptist. John the Baptist, preaching in the wilderness, repentance, could not change a single human heart. It's the Holy Spirit that that convicts people to repentance. So the the very best uh, priest under the what I'm thinking in terms of uh, Hebrews here, this contrast between the priesthood of the sons of Aaron over against Yeshua's priesthood, uh, even John the Baptist could not change a single human heart. That's right. very different than what Yeshua can do. Right. And, uh, we can contrast this real quick. Before, before you go on, we can contrast this go with ahead. the fact that <clears throat> Yeshua says, uh, your, your sins are forgiven. Yeah, and and the and the Pharisees say, "Whoa, whoa! You can't do that. Only God can forgive sins." And he says, "Oh, oh no, you didn't." Yeah, oh no, you didn't. And and what is what does Yeshua say? Yeshua says, "Well, okay, what's what's what, easier? What's easier? Yeah. I can do I can do it all." So what's easier? All right, fine. Get up and walk. Anyway, shall I walk on water? Is yeah, that easier? <laughs> exactly, exactly. So I mean, the the point is, is that is that Yeshua actually does deal with the heart, and he and he proves this throughout his ministry. Keep going. Yeah, yeah, and so that's, I mean, that's a real basic uh, contrast that we can set forth, and that's what's being said here. And so uh, in Epistle Hebrews, the the notion is the first, the positive assertion that Jeremiah brings something to, it, well, it's, it's, it's God giving him this, the words of prophecy. It's the words from the Lord right. uh, giving him this prophecy, while the while Solomon's temple was still standing, right? The Babylonians had not yet come and destroyed that temple, but he, he knew that it was, it was going to happen. And God gave him this promise that said, look, I understand that it's all going south. Mm -hmm. The north is gone. And uh, they've rejected my prophets time and again. And the king isn't listening to you. Right. And he's got all his yes men. And I know they're mistreating you. And Babylon's on its way, but, but little Jeremy, Yermiah, <laughs> I'm going to, I'm, I've got some news for you. I want you to write this down. I want you to preach it. Right. And it has to do with something called the Brit Chadashah. And he says, look, I, I've got my people covered. I write my Torah on their hearts. And, and he's tells him of a day of a future day where, he says, I will be their God. They will be my people. Forgiveness of sins will be co will com completely accomplished. And that's a, a major hope. I, I wonder what, what the day that Jeremiah got that prophecy from the Lord, I wonder if he was just like elevated and just like, you know, he's like, yes, this is what we need. We need, because the you can have Solomon's temple. You can have everybody speak in Hebrew. You can have all this line of prophets. Right. But it doesn't fix the problem of the human heart. Right. The problem of the human heart is, is uh, like Jeremiah says elsewhere, he says, uh, who can know it, right? It's deceitful above all things. It, it's sick and uh, twisted. That's the problem. 
So when it talks about the new, a new covenant in Hebrews, it's saying it means that God's revelation, external revelation of the Torah through Moses with the tabernacle modeled off of what was in heaven, served to expose the problem of the human heart. And it, the, uh, the priests on their best day could preach the word by the power of the Holy Spirit, but unless the Spirit is in the listener, convicting their hearts, there's nothing they can do. And even the best priests have this, their own sin problem, and they're a limited lifespan. Right. Yeshua's not that way. Yeshua is contrasted again on those ways. He lives forever, and uh, he doesn't have a sin problem. So that's the main contrast. So that so when we think of old covenant, it is kind of the the leftover space when you're setting forth what is this Brit Chadashah. And this comes into our Passover season too, of course, because Yeshua says, This is the blood of the of the new covenant shed for you for the remission of sins, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, Rob has very well, uh, very, uh, yeah, he's set up our next conversation very well as within this answer. Oh, nice. uh, so good on you for that. But I want to go back for a few seconds and uh, I'm going to look uh, at this term old covenant. Now, when I, when I read this, I, what I want to do is I want to look at how Paul uses the term old in other places. And so I just chose four other places where, uh, five, yeah, four other places where Paul uses the term old and let's see how he uses this uh, in the context. So, for instance, in Romans 6, 6, he says, We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, so this is just two chapters after the passage that we read <clears throat> concerning the Old Covenant. He says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Ephesians 4.22 says, To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. And finally, Colossians 3.9 that's says... The human, that's what Jeremiah would call the, the problem of the heart. Right exactly. There. The, unre, the unredeemed heart. Exactly. Uh, and finally, Colossians 3.9 says, Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. Okay, so what Jim, am I... real quick, what was that one, the, the second to the last one? Oh, Ephesians 4.22. Thank you, sir. Okay. So uh, um, the way that Paul uses this term old is in reference to being without Christ. And, and obviously within the 2 Corinthians 3.12 through 16 passage that I read that uses old covenant, he specifically says it. They read the old covenant without Christ. And so what I think the old covenant is, I don't once I don't think the new covenant is time bound. We've talked about this at length on this show. Abraham was part of the new covenant because he is the model of salvation by faith that Paul uses in Galatians and other places, Romans as well. Right? So um and how did he have salvation by faith? He had salvation through faith by believing in the coming Messiah. And this is the, he believed in the blood of the new covenant, and therefore he was part of the new covenant. Okay, with that in mind, uh, I don't think that the old covenant is time-bound either. The old covenant, in my opinion, 
is those who read the Torah or read any scripture without Christ, without reading it through the lens of Christ. In other words, if you read the scriptures and you don't have Christ, you're reading the old covenant. You're reading a covenant that will not save. You're reading a covenant that does not work. The new covenant is the covenant of reading any of the scriptures through the lens of Christ. I think the way that that Paul uses old is to say the person that you were, the person that is unregenerate, the person that is without Christ, that's how he uses the term old. So when he says old covenant, it's covenant that does not save. That's what I that's what I think how that's how I would define the old covenant. Anything else on that? Yeah, this is really great. I had the privilege this week of recording the the weekly parasha message for Torah Resource Institute. And of course, we're in the three-year cycle. And the the passage is from Deuteronomy 3, but the Haftarah is from Jeremiah. And it's a wonderful passage where from chapter 32. Uh, again, in, in this situation where Jeremiah has been told by the Lord to go buy land. Right. Like to put up, sil- weigh out silver and get the deed to a land, to purchase land. At the same time that he tells him that, yeah, Babylon's on the way, they're going to destroy the city. And Jeremiah's like, I don't understand. <laughs> okay. It's like, how? why am I supposed to buy land? Why does that even matter? And because right. God says, because I want you to sow in hope, because this land is not destroyed forever. But the but this transaction is is legitimate in God's eyes. He says, so buy this land. This is going to happen. It has it. It's a it's like a two worlds that that seem to not fit together. He's telling the prophet to go buy land. <laughs> At the same time, he's saying, yeah, this whole thing's gone. Right, this is going to be destroyed. But the point uh, is in this passage, Jeremiah says uh, something. I even quote Hebrews when I'm talking about it. He says, whose eyes are open, uh, or before whose eyes are, uh, the men's hearts are open. Right. Or all the, all the hearts of men are open before his eyes. In other words, there's nothing that he doesn't see. And it says that he gave them this good land, and he gave them the Torah, and they rejected him. They, and they did not obey his Torah. They did not listen to his voice. And that's why this evil, this calamity is coming upon them. They had the Torah. And so they could read it. Right. Right? It's not that, it's, it's not that, that Israel, the problem wasn't that Israel was running around in the promised land without knowledge. It's like they, it, it, it's not like they'd never heard of the Torah. It's like, oh, what are you exactly. talking about? I don't know what that is. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. I don't know who they are. Who are those guys? Uh, who are they? <laughs> uh, Mount Sinai, Moses. I have no idea what you're talking about. Aaron, you know, the sons of Aaron, priesthood. I don't have. That's not the problem. Right. The problem they they had the Torah. Problem is they were all what Jeremiah says that our hearts were deceptive. Uh, they were deceived and they were corrupt and they were, their eyes were, were uh, what they say, whoring after, right? Playing the harlot and all these things because they didn't have redeemed hearts. They didn't in their, in their heart, love God. So, and, you, yeah. so, so Jeremiah would read Paul and go, yeah, that's exactly <clears throat> what I was talking about. Old man is fine. They're called old because now the full revelation of who Yeshua is, 
Paul will say, put on the new, put on Messiah. That's your, it's, it's being born from above. It means you're, you have a new personhood in the risen Messiah. So, and it is, it at the core is a, is the pure love of God, the desire to, to follow God, to, to, uh, you know, to do everything as unto the Lord, no matter what it costs in this world. And that ultimately is take up your cross and follow me. Right. Because the world is full of unredeemed hearts and they're going to hate you. So I'm in the book of Colossians currently. Yes, you are. Yes, I am. I'm uh, actually next week. I, as a matter of fact, I opened up Colossians this morning and there was Caleb right here, there. Here I am. Uh, no, the, so I, I'm actually leaving next week uh, with my family to do a very short vacation and then I'm um, I'm teaching at a at a conference on the way home from our vacation. Well, that's right. No no show next week. No y'all. show next week. Um, so, uh, but what you just said kind of reminded me of something in the end of Colossians one. So in verses twenty four through twenty seven, he says, uh, "This is Paul speaking to the Colossians." Of course, he says, "Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of His body." that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make uh, make mm. the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations but now revealed to his Preach saints. It. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And so it's interesting because, I don't, like, when you first read that, well, what does it mean that the mystery has been hidden? Abraham was saved by faith. He saw. He he wanted to see God's day, you know, the day of the Lord, and he saw it, you know. Certainly David had an understanding of, of the Messiah. But if you look at Israel as a whole. And Yeshua told his disciples, he said, many righteous men and prophets desired to see what you see, see now. Yeah, exactly. What does he mean? It means they. It means you would have taken any of them and put them in the first century. They would have followed you. They would have seen him going. Yeah, this is the guy. That's him. This is him. So, what's interesting though is if you look at the history of Israel, from coming out of Egypt, what happens? Moses goes up on the mountain, tablets, comes down. They build it. Israel's yeah. Israel's worshiping a golden calf, right? Okay. So then, after, oh. oops, oops. <laughs> Then they, I threw this gold into the fire, and out comes anyway. Uh, and then they go to they they go to the lands and they spy it out, and they won't trust they won't trust the Lord. Once again, they they rely on themselves, or they're afraid they don't trust in God, right? And because of that, they wander in the desert forty years. Okay, then what happens? Then they come into the land, and things do not go well. It's not like people are saying, uh, and this is exactly what our, our, the, for the Second Corinthians three passage is talking about. There's this veil left, uh, that's over the, the over the Torah. They're not able to to see Christ, and and they continue on in history. the The people follow after the Baals. Even David's son. It says that he had many wives, and because of this, he he built these altars to false gods. Solomon, the guy who wrote biblical books, Solomon is is worshiping other gods. You get into the kings, every I mean, it's just downhill until all of a sudden Josiah comes. Oh, finally, we got somebody who's going to turn it around. But guess what? One generation later, and they're sacrificing their children to, to Moloch again, right? All the way up until the first century. Now, now the Messiah comes, and we think, finally, it's going to turn. Guess what? Here we are 2,000 years later, 
And Israel, as a nation, as a whole, still rejects Christ as the Messiah. From the day they come out of Egypt until our present time, Israel has still not understood the mystery which is Christ in you. And Paul talks about this in Romans. He says, and then all Israel will be saved. What does that mean? Does that mean that every single Jew is going to be saved? No, it means that Israel as a nation will turn and say, and we see this in Amos too, Amos 5. He says that he 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 will have to be uh until they until they accept him, until Israel accepts him, and then he will return. It's there's some uh there's some powerful implications that are going on throughout scripture that show that Israel rejects the the Messiah until we're in the I mean until until the Messiah comes back. It's right before that time when Israel turns to Christ, <clears throat> that's when that's when all of a sudden things turn. Okay. Um, let's move on. So I don't know where to go from this point. Uh, we could go to what let's, let's go to Evelyn's comment and then we'll move back to Sean. Sean, by the way, is in the, in the chat room for the very first time. And, uh, so anyway, uh, we're going to, he sent in some great questions. Anyway, Evelyn writes and she says in regards to covenants and the traditional reading of eight of Hebrews eight, seven, why is it taught from church pulpits that God doesn't make mistakes, but with the reading of Hebrews 8-7, it reads as though he made a faulty covenant. Thoughts, please. Let's read Hebrews 8-7. I'm in the NASB 95. It says, For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion sought for a second. Well, this is a faulty translation in almost every translation of the English translation. Caleb. Why I know. Blame the tra- you're blaming the translation. I know. I Come know. On. I'm sorry. But ultimately, that word covenant is not actually in your text. Um, it actually reads, for if that first had not or had been faultless, there would have been no occasion sought for a second. Um, Rob, I'm going to let you run with this because you've already uh, pretty much set it up. Go for it. Oh, yeah. Well, so again, I think uh, if you look at Tim Hanks' commentary... I haven't looked at it recently, but I, I'm pretty sure he does a good job talking about this passage here. What's being contra- what is being talked about is not the covenant, but that it is the priesthood. It is the priesthood that was faulty, right? And by priesthood means that it's that it's uh, consists of sinning mortal beings in other words humans and that uh the the qualifications for becoming a priesthood was just merely based on bloodline right right you just had to be a a son of aaron in order to be a priest and uh whereas the sonship it says you know the is by an oath, by declaration, you are a priest forever, according to Order Melchizedek, as we know. But we, if you read the whole context here, and I pulled it up, so I have Hebrews uh, 8. It says, uh, so I'll start with verse 4. If Yeshua was here on earth, this is NASB, he would not be a priest, since there are those who offer gifts according to the Torah. So that means there's a priesthood on earth right now. And Yeshua would not be here, or would not be a priest here, because he's not from the tribe of uh, Levi. He's not a son of Aaron. And these serve, that is the ones here on earth, serve a copy and a shadow of the heavenly things, just as 
Moshe was warned by God when he was about to erect the tabernacle, the Mishkan, the tabernacle, saying, see, God says that you make all things according to the tavnit or the pattern which was shown you on the mountain. The point is, is that there's a heavenly reality that Moses is getting a glimpse of and that the pattern that God reveals to him is, is how the earthly Mishkan is to reflect this heavenly uh, uh, actual uh, Mishkan or tabernacle. And then it says, now Yeshua has obtained a more excellent ministry. And this ministry is, a, is in the, it's a feminine singular noun in the Greek, by as much as he is also the mediator of a better covenant. That's just a, a, a subordinate clause. It's not the main sentence. Uh, and then the which, which has been enacted on better promises, um, is pertains back to the excellent ministry. For if the first, and then there's no word covenant here, for if the first had been faultless, talking about the ministry, Yeshua, why is Yeshua's ministry more excellent? It's more excellent. Uh, the other one was faultless, or was had fault. There would have been no occasion sought for a second. For finding fault, it's the same core word, in, in Greek, between verse 7 and verse 8, finding fault with the covenant? No, finding fault with them. It's talking about humans, finding fault with them. And them means priest and people alike. Yep. That's, that's what it is. The fault is not in anything God has ever revealed God's pure and true and holy revelation is in stark contrast to the dark, sinful hearts of man. And like Yeshua says, light comes in the world and it separates people from people. People who love truth come to the light and their be deeds are as if they are born of God. And then the people who hate the truth go and hide. They won't come to the light because they know their deeds are evil. That's what uh John records for us in the Gospel of John, chapter 3. It's the same point. God, re God cannot reveal himself into the darkness without it exposing sin, because God loves truth. You can't, God does not accept hypocrisy. Uh, uh, hypocrisy, yeah. Uh, he won't accept just lip service. I mean, I, this isn't new. Isaiah says, you know, these people, they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. God cares about the heart. He doesn't care about the lip service. He says, your, your Sabbaths, your burnt offerings, they stink to me. Why? That means it's not a reach nehoach. It's not a pleasing aroma. Why? Right. Because it's all for show. It's like it's like the guy who likes to be called rabbi and right. stand in, and and make make long pretense of prayers so people look at him and go oh man that's a holy man that's a holy man I can tell by looking that's that's exactly what's wrong and it's always been what's wrong it's always been what's wrong with the human heart is is external uh, external shows for the sake of whatever the twisted heart comes up with all sorts of motivations but they're not humble before god right and so that's the big that's the big contrast so um the f verse 8 
Hebrews 8, 8, finding fault with them. The fault is on the people's side. Always, always. Let, what does Paul say? Let God be true and every man a liar. Right. Um, I'm actually doing my own little study over here while uh, while Rob's hitting, hitting In other words, home. Caleb's not listening to me. No, I'm listening no, to right. you. But Tell uh, me what you're learning, bro. Okay, so check this Preach out. Um, we have a special guest in our uh, chat room. Andrew Schumacher from The Beginning of Wisdom is uh, has has entered the chat room, and it's good to see you, brother. Um, Andrew disagrees with us on some, um, well, basically on our view of Torah, and uh, his channel actually, uh, I, I don't know if he would want me to classify it this way, but his channel is dedicated to showing how the Hebrew Roots Movement has uh, faulted in their understanding of the Torah. And I would agree with you. I, I would agree probably on some of them. Yeah, yeah, Andrew and I actually agree on on uh, a lot of different things. Um, with that said, um, he, he jumps into the chat room and he says, uh, and this is in regards to our last conversation, he uh, he says most of the time in the Gospel of John, R.K. Began, oh, so he was talking about something else there. Uh, sorry, th- in this comment he says this is implication of making every old quote unquote old in Paul mean the same thing. Okay, well, there's actually two different words for old um, within that Paul uses. One is in reference to people being old, and the other um, is the word that we were looking at up. Uh, Pelion is what he uses in terms of of old, uh, the one that that I was referring to. So let's read every single time that Paul uses the word Pelion in the Greek. He uses it in Romans 6, 6. We've already uh, read this. We know that that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. Okay. 1 Corinthians 5, 7. This is one we did not look at. Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened. I would uh, contend that that is the same meaning. Uh, old being sin or the old self uh, kind of examples that I was giving. Uh, he references it again in the next verse, uh, 1 Corinthians 5, 8. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Uh, once again, I would, hypo- I would put forward that that is same meaning uh, used as old. The verse that we looked at, 2 Corinthians 3.14, we've already read that. Ephesians 2, uh, 4.22, we read that. Put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner. Colossians 3.9, do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with practices. So um, those are the only times that um, that is, those are the only times that Paul uses this, uh, this word within all of his writings. And I would contend that yes, Every time he uses it, every single time, it talks about the old self, the old person, and the old being in sin without Christ. That's the only way he uses this word. Now, he uses a different word when he talks about older people. So we find this in uh, when he's talking about um, uh, respecting the elders in a community and whatnot. That's a different word. So, yes, I would contend that every time Paul uses this word, and it's used by other people too. So, for instance, let's just take a random one. It's used in the Gospels and, and other places. But um, so John uses it, 1 John 2, 7. Beloved, I am writing to you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. Now, obviously, uh, this is a different take that John is using. However, once again, I would contend that every time Paul uses this word, he's talking about the old self. 
Right, right. And that's a good point, because in John, the gospel or uh, the epistle of John that you're talking about, when he talks about uh, the old commandment, but it's it's a new commandment, but it's old commandment. Right. What what that means, that's the same thing in in uh, the gospel of Matthew, where Yeshua says the, the scribe who's discipled in the kingdom of God is like a householder who brings out of his treasure both new things and old. Matthew 13, 52, correct. Yeah, see, these are these are positive. So the one in Matthew, the one in 1 John, this is referring to what I would say, you could say, old covenant, like the ancient covenant. In, in other words, it does. it's not talking about the old man, it's talking about time, the old revelation, meaning not old and done away, but that the one, you know, God's ancient and, and tre- to be treasured, written revelation upon which the it is written it is written it is written every time it says it is written every time yeshua says it is written is based on that so the ancientness is is uh being um emphasized there and which is good which is good so uh we have to always look at context like you, you've done a good job caleb looking at the the different context for these. It's important. Okay, let's move on. Uh, Sean, once again, we'll move back to Sean. Sean said, and once again, hello, Sean. Welcome to the first of your live streams. Um, Sean writes in again. He says, another interesting question would be, to what extent are we grafted into Israel? I'm interested to hear what scholars think about this. Well, I mean, this is split so much so into many different... um, arenas of Christianity. In fact, this has kind of been one of the um, sticking points or maybe points of division, I might say, uh, within Christendom. And the reason why is because you have what people would call replacement theology. In other words, um, grafted into Israel would not be what people would say, but rather they would say um, that Israel is replaced. In other words, God gave them a chance. They rejected Christ and now God has replaced them with the church or with um, believers of all nations, including Israel. Okay, well, that's kind of a flavor of, of uh, I mean, it, it's replacement theology. It's supersessionism. Uh, okay, so that's one, one understanding. Um, another understanding is that um, God uh, deals with people differently in different ways. Um, in different times. Now, I know a lot of people have said that we get dispensational dispensationalism wrong, and that might be that we get certain parts of dispensationalism wrong. However, there have been people within dispensational belief that say that God is working with uh, the church now. It's the church age as opposed to Israel's age. And that uh, once the rapture happens and the church goes to be with Christ, that uh, God will once again deal with Israel. So, this might seem like a replacement theology. Maybe it is a form of replacement theology. At the same time, one of the, what uh, people who hold to this form of dispensationalism are attempting to do is they're attempting to deal with Israel. They're attempting to deal with what the Bible says about Israel and God's promises towards Israel. And for that, I think that's actually a good thing. I don't think they've done it right, but I think it's a good thing. And then you have people who believe... Um, we call it enlargement theology, and um, basically what we believe is that when a person comes into faith in Christ, they become part of the covenant people of God, and the covenant people of God are 
Israel. Now, this does not mean that you become bloodline ethnically Jewish or anything like that. But a mixed multitude came out of Egypt and was given the covenant at Mount Sinai. And that mixed multitude was not all descendants from Jacob. Now, certainly the descendants from Jacob have promises from God. And it seems like the covenant members in Ezekiel are given those covenant uh, promises as well in the millennium. Um, This could get into end times, and and I don't really want to do that. But it seems as though even the Gentiles have land rights uh, according to what tribe they settle in. Um, and throughout the Torah, we see that a ger or a sojourner who, uh, who is in your midst uh, must keep the Passover, they must be circumcised, and once that happens, it's assumed that all of the, the covenant obligations are then attached to them. One of the things that I think a lot of people in the mainstream Christian church today might not realize, and I don't think it's necessarily that they're ignorant, but maybe it just hasn't been thought out very well is that the new covenant is actually made with Israel. It's made with the initially in, in Jeremiah 31, it says that the new covenant is made with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Judah just kind of disappears after that mention. And then it's just Israel. And I think that this is because actually God made one nation. He didn't make two nations. He split the nation because of, of uh, sin. But ultimately in the end, Israel is brought back and, and joined together as one nation again. And that nation is the the covenant people of God is both Jew and Gentile alike. It's not ethnically um, exclusive to Jews. So when we look at play at, at uh, passages like Romans eleven, um, what is the root? We've talked about this many times on the show. We believe that the root is in fact uh, the Abrahamic covenant. Uh, so from the Abrahamic covenant stems the 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 people of of the covenant people of God. And that starts with the physical descendants of Jacob. And uh, then, of course, the Gentiles are grafted into Israel. Uh, Once again, this does not mean that they become physical Israel. In other words, they don't become, you can't become physical Israel any more than I can become physical Italian. Um, But with that said, um, that's, I mean, that's how I understand the grafting in of the Gentiles. Rob? Yeah, it's just it, it's just another way of describing what we read, like in Isaiah. Is that Isaiah fifty six? You know the the those. I can look it up. I think it's Isaiah fifty six. Those uh, from among the nations that are, that are um, attached to me. Right. <laughs> it's interesting because in the end of Isaiah, but, yeah. Let not let not the this is. Uh, yeah, how blessed is the man who does this, the son of man who takes hold of it, who keeps from profaning the Sabbath, keeps his hand from doing any evil. Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to Adonai say, Adonai will surely separate me from his people, etc. And it goes on. So the point is, this is the prophet Isaiah you know, preaching thus, and this is chapter 6, 56, verse 1, thus kol amar Adonai, thus says the Lord, the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord. That means it's real in God's eyes. That means there is something in the creator's perspective that is a, someone who's outside ethnically or by, by nature of their birth. They're not part of the stock of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Yet they are grafted or joined unto Adonai. 
And that's important to him. Okay, so we got a comment by Dust, uh, Dustin in the chat room. He says, don't we become Hebrew since we have crossed over? Uh, depends how you're defining the word Hebrew. I would say no. Uh, in terms of, he, if you're using Hebrew in terms of ethnicity, and actually, it's interesting because I think that within Paul's epistles, I think that um, one of the things that a lot of commentators have missed is Paul's, as N.T. Wright would probably say, radical re-understanding or something to that effect. He would use the word radical. Radical, a, a radical fresh and yeah, fresh. A, a, a freshly radical reinterpretation of the Abrahamic <laughs> Covenant. And I've been doing a lot of work in Colossians now, uh, as we've already said, and I'm convinced that at the core of what Paul is is uh, focusing on is this idea of ethnic uh, inclusion. And I, I go into depth in in, uh, in the commentary that I'm currently writing on that. Um, I, I would say that, no, we don't become Hebrew. Uh, I would say that we become Israel. We become part of Israel. And maybe even a better way to say this, This, I mean, these are the words that are used in the scriptures, but I think maybe an even better way to say this for our current understanding would be we become covenant members. We are covenant members. And, that, and this is, I mean, uh, Paul hits this home time and time and time again. I mean, 2 Corinthians, he says, now you are circumcised in heart. And circumcision is, I, I argue that, I will argue that uh, circumcision is actually um, a shorthand for conversion. And when someone w- was converted, quote unquote, in the first century, they took on ethnic status. And this is what Paul is against. Paul is absolutely against the idea that a person becomes ethnic Israel and that's what saves them. What he believes and what he preaches and what he teaches in his epistles is that a person is saved by faith in Christ alone. It is circumcision of the heart that saves you, not ethnic status. And this is why he basically we we believe that Jew and Gentile, if you're saying that a person has faith and becomes ethnically anything, ethnically Jewish, ethnically whatever, then we erase the idea that all nations will come. In other words, we erase the Abrahamic covenant. In your seed, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. If everyone becomes one nation, then it would be in your seed, all Israel will be blessed. Because the nations would simply attach themselves to Israel and become one people group. In other words, all Israel meaning people group. All let's let's put it, let's use better words. In your seed, all the Jews will be blessed. If if everyone becomes Jewish, if everybody becomes Hebrew, quote unquote, and we're using this ethnically, then the Abrahamic covenant is erased and all of the all of the prophecies of, of the nations coming up, Ezekiel 14. Uh, so uh, Isaiah 66, all of these now are erased because we only have one ethnic group. And Paul is absolutely against this, as am I. I, I use the word and the term, which is not found in the Bible, but I use the word uh, like ethnic superiority or bloodline superiority. This is rampant in the Hebrew roots in the Messianic, uh, particularly in the Hebrew roots movement. It, I, it, it happens in the Hebrew roots movement as well. You'll see people who say, uh, you know, everyone always wants to find their Jewish heritage. Oh, well, I was studying and I just, I found out that, you know, my great, great, great grandmother's best friend's boyfriend's girlfriend uh, was Jewish. And therefore, I, you know, I'm, I'm you know, my last name is Smith and I must, I must be Jewish. I, I mean, it, it, there's this want and this need to find Jewish ethnic blood 
because somehow this is going to make you better or or make you a greater teacher. We hear this all the time, by the way, from from other teachers. Itzhak Shapira basically said that Rob and I had no business even debating because we weren't Jewish. In other words, we have no we have no uh, claim to to interpret the Bible. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's laughable. It shows it shows how flawed. That's just so, that... <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. Whatever, dude. <laughs> I mean, oh. how's that working out for him? Anyway, oh, the, the point what, is. Can I? Oh, finish. go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. Go. Go. Well, I was just gonna say that there's there is a what I call I call like the what I think of some of the Hebrew roots stuff that I see like in memes and stuff as reflected in memes and certain teachings I've heard is it's like folk religion. I liken right. it to folk religion. Right. And so what we get is folk meanings. And so one of the folk meanings is that that I've heard it for 20 years. I've heard it more than 20 years. I've heard it, that it Hebrew means one who has crossed over. And what they're doing is there it's a play on the Hebrew root of the word Hebrew, ayin bet resh, which in certain verbal forms can lavo can mean to cross over or to, to pass by. For example, it's used in Exodus 12 when the Lord will pass through the land of Egypt, right? So um so the idea then is taken, there's a clever what I call a midrash. Oh, so that means when you become a believer, you become a Hebrew because you've crossed over. Then that's the idea. Uh, and so I think people, it's a it's a clever little idea, but it's not but that's not what the Bible teaches. It's not a biblical teaching. That is a kind of similar to rabbinic midrash that takes a little play on words to make some sort of point. What we have to be careful of is that we don't put weight on that. It's not going to hold any weight. It's not going to carry water. Uh, only the word of God is the rock and it holds the weight, right? If So you don't, um, I would just encourage people who've been taught, oh, I'm a Hebrew because I've crossed over. Um, that's, you've actually uh, not been given all the information there. Uh, and so um, that's not a, the idea of I'm a, we are Hebrews because we have crossed over is is a an invented teaching, not something from the scriptures. So maid servant of Christ in the chat room, uh, she says, but isn't physical heritage irrelevant once we are in Christ according to the Bible? Stop. Uh, actually, she she says, no Jew, no Greek. Okay, let's stop right there for a second, and then I'll read the rest of your comment in, in a moment. Yes, when, when it comes to salvation, when it comes to faith in Christ, the, the passage that you're referring to, there's Galatians, actually, probably, yeah. There's there's three passages where I think there's three passages where where um, uh, Paul says there's neither Jew nor Greek. What he what he's referring to is God doesn't see ethnicity as a reason to be saved. This is a preaching against bloodline superiority, and you're absolutely right about that. However, the idea that um, bloodline is irrelevant is I would not go that far at all. And I'm going to talk before you before you blow up. Just hear me out on this. Uh, she goes on, she says, so what is relevant is our blood, uh, I'm sorry, uh, so what is relevant is our new bloodline in Christ, A phys and physical genealogies don't matter. I would disagree with this, and the reason why is because, first of all, let's go to Paul. Paul says, 
um, uh, what advantage then has a Jew? Much in every way, because the the oracles and the and the covenants were given to the Jews. In other words, they carry they carry something. They the physically the physical descendants of, of Jacob were in fact chosen by God to carry the covenants. This is important, and this is something that needs to not be uh, looked down upon. Second of all. Uh, Let's take my gene. Let's take my genealogical heritage. I'm Dutch and I'm English predominantly. I have, I'm a mutt really, but I have uh, some other stuff uh, sprinkled in there. But predominantly, I think uh, I took a blood a blood test and 35 percent of me is English. I think another 20 percent or something like that is Dutch. So predominantly, that's what I am. Uh, my wife, on the other hand, is Mexican, and uh, so she is, by the way, if you ever get a chance to eat my wife's Mexican cooking, uh, it is fantastic. So when 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 my wife comes to Christ and it becomes comes, Jewish cooking. No, it doesn't. And that's no, the I'm point. Kidding, I'm, I'm well, actually, you're, you're 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 one step ahead of me. When my <laughs> when my wife comes to Christ and we and we find our identity in Christ, all of a sudden the the cooking that she originally had in her culture is now changed. Why? Because everything in Mexican food is deep fried in pig lard. Well, we don't eat pig lard anymore because our identity is now in Christ. Does that mean that all of a sudden she starts making, uh, you know, shawarmas and falafel? Well, I mean, she does that well as, you know, also. But ultimately, her Mexican uh, heritage and her Mexican cooking goes back to, she goes back to that. She just excludes what we don't eat. In other words, our culture remains our culture because that's the bloodline that we're for, from. In other words, all nations will come, right? So our culture remains our culture, but it conforms to God's culture. In other words, yes, we still have the Mexican food on our table. It just doesn't have the pig lard in it. And what we see in this is that all the nations, in other words, you don't say that there's no there's no bloodline anymore. Uh, now, I will certainly say that the idea of um, of like intersectionality and Black Lives Matters and all this kind of stuff that's going on right now, this is nonsense. The Bible doesn't teach it. In that respect, you're absolutely right. Um, I think that all of this needs to be thrown out, and any Christian church, any Messianic synagogue, any Hebrew Roots congregation that is pushing intersectionality and or bloodline superiority in any way, shape, or form, or saying that we all need to be anti-racist, they, they're using all these words that people should be able to agree with, but they it's veiled for something else. This is nonsense, and get it out of your congregations. Don't be fooled. With that said, the fact is, is that we should revel in the fact that God is God's promises are coming true. That our cultures are all coming into to glorify and magnify the living God. Just as the prophecies have said, in your seed, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. If we erase bloodline completely and say that, that all the families of the earth are just one bloodline, guess what? We don't have these, these prophecies coming true anymore. So what I tell people is, you know, you should be able to look at your culture that you come from and say, yeah, I'm, I'm proud of I'm proud of this culture, but I'm going to conform it to God's Torah. I'm going to conform it to God's standard. And this should be for anyone. But the idea of social justice uh, and these kind of bloodline superiority things, absolute, complete nonsense. And uh, it's not taught in the Bible. And uh, believers should use the Bible as their foundation not some kind of social justice. If you're conforming your church to the society, you will always lose. Always. Because society is corrupt. Society is not based on God's law.
All right, before we go, and we we were supposed to talk about Paul as a genuine apostle today. We've had multiple people say, can you please talk about whether or not Paul, you know, why people are rejecting Paul's uh, writings. Actually, this is a good time to say this to people who want us to talk about this. If you have examples of articles or examples of ministries, we can't find any. Whoever's saying this is not saying it very loud because I can't find, I've tried doing searches on like who's teaching that Paul should be thrown out. I know they're out there. I just can't find them. So if you if you know people who are teaching this or ministries or whatever that are trying to teach this, send them to us. Uh, we will talk about it in two weeks. Next week, we're going to be off because I will be traveling. Um, uh, Lee, I see your super. Oh, wow. Look at this. Alfred and Lee both gave super chats. Uh, let's give them some some blessings as well as I don't know. Let's let's sing a song. Let's let's have a song. Um, okay. No education. Or self-centered. Oh, I like self-centered. Let's do that. Uh, here's a here's a song for both of you guys, and then uh, and then we'll 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 give you a blessing. Why do you hate the Rob and Caleb show? Honestly, I think they're vain, stupid, and incredibly self-centered. <laughs> You've been blessed. Thank you guys very much. We appreciate it. Um, if you'd like to help support this show, you can do so by entering a super chat in our chat room, or you can also uh, go to torresource.com. You can support this show for as little as $5 a month. You can also become an executive producer. Receive this cup. Look at that one. Uh, receive the cup for um, an executive producer credit uh, for the spring, and your name will be added to the list. You can also choose uh, something from the soundboard to play, or there's a lot of other things that you can do. Um, you can send us a note, and we might even read it on air. Um, so anyway, there's many ways that you can support this show. We are very grateful for everyone who uh, supports us. It is actually what keeps us uh, keeps us on, on, on the air. And right now we're building a website, so think about that. That's going to be fun. All right. Uh, anything else before we go? Before we're off for an entire week, Rob? We've another show in the bag. 340 in the bag. And Rob is 50. 50 well, years yeah, in the bag. Yeah, figure that. I know, right? <laughs> All right. Well, uh, if there is nothing else, then let me pull up my music here. And we will say that uh, we hope that this conversation has done at least one thing. And that is to glorify our great God and Savior, Yeshua the Messiah. Because Messiah matters. 